Computer Audio. Join with Computer Audio. Amen. Hello, David, how are you? Yeah, how you doing, dude? I'm great. Hello, I'm Harry Robinson, and this is the All Out Attack Podcast. Come here, kid. Check it out. All right, now listen, I'm done now. I'm getting ready to do an interview. Kristen! My guest today is David Thibodeau, author and former member of the Branch Davidians religious sect, a group led by self-proclaimed prophet David Koresh, a man whose followers truly believed he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm drinking too, by the way. Oh yeah, I've, honestly, I've got two sets of drinks here, because I thought I needed dude. a bit of caffeine. Then. Oh, I love it. Tennessee apple is fucking delicious, dude. It's so good. David is one of only a minority of survivors of the 51-day siege led by the FBI on the Branch Davidians compound in Waco, Texas, named Mount Carmel. The siege consisted of tanks, helicopters, psychological warfare, vast amounts of tear gas, and was ended with the church being set ablaze. 86 people died in the siege, 22 of whom were children. He's 19. Oh, wow. Crazy, huh? That's awesome. After meeting David's family and talking about whiskey, I sat down ready to delve into one of the biggest American tragedies in recent memory. What I found, however, was a man impassioned to share his truth with the world. I hope you enjoy. Word cult itself. You yeah. call the demonization word. Absolutely. But I've um, watched, you know, various mediums where certain branch Davidians has referred to the uh, the group as a cult. Was it a cult? Or well, certain people have referred to the group, especially even former members or former. Uh, there's been a big group that left David before I even came onto the scene mm-hmm. um, of Davidians, if you will. I don't even like the term Davidians because we didn't realize I was a branch Davidian until the press took over. Uh, I just thought we were students of the Seven Seals, to be honest with you. Now, the cult thing, here, here's where it all gets, you know. When you think of cult, you think satanic instantly. Because in the 80s, it was satanism, satanic cults. It was a big deal, right? And so, basically... Culture just another word to demonize a group of people. And here, here's the, the, the Academy, the American Academy of Religious Studies. They do not use the word cult. They, they've gotten rid of the word cult. So here we're talking about scholars that don't use the word cult because they realize the truth that every single major religious movement at one point could have been considered a cult. It was a group of people that revolved around one person who had a vision or, or was giving prophecy or, or was making it up. We could go there even. It doesn't matter. That those religions form from people following one particular individual. Mm-hmm. Now, is that dangerous? Is that not dangerous? One man's religious movement is another man's C-U-L-T, if you will. Uh, the way I look at it is this. It's simply a demonization word. There are some groups that are terrible. There are some groups that are led by narcissistic individuals who only have their self-interest at heart and don't care about the individuals that are under them. That is not the vast majority. That is a small, small minority. But what the press tends to do is take the few examples of that in the world and just overdo it to you think that there's a cult living right next to you. And it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. The the Baptist church at one time was considered a cult. The Mormons were considered a cult. Uh, Catholic church Christians, let's go, let's go way back, shall we? Let's go to Jesus, Jesus Christos, 
the great anointed war god, title given by the Greeks, Jesus himself, Yeshua, if you will, was a cult. It was one guy walking around the Middle East that had 12 guys following him. They gave up being fishermen. They gave up being carpenters to follow this dude trampsing through the deserts of Israel. All right. That was considered very strange. You don't think that their parents were all like, oh, my God, my kid's in a, a, a weird religious sect with this Jesus guy who claims he's a rabbi. And that's basically what it was. Okay. It, it's become Christianity didn't start out as Christianity. Christianity started out as Judaism, Judaism. And you had a particular gifted rabbi, Christ, who started teaching, who gained a reputation, who was, some people believe, killed. Some people believe he's, he survived and had children of Mary Magdalene. We don't really know. That's the problem, okay? Uh, history has been so perverted and taken over by those who have won and gained power that we really don't know what our past is. We have no idea. And that's always been my thing. With David Christian, people say, oh, are you still a Branch Davidian? Well, I never was a Branch Davidian. I was someone who was interested in what the Bible really taught. David Crush was able to show me what the Bible really taught, not what a verse says or what even one chapter says. What did the Bible really teach? That's what I wanted to know. I learned that from David, okay? Um, I've heard other people. I've listened to other, uh, other viewpoints on the scripture. You know, I've taken out of it what I wanted to get out of it. I don't consider that a bad thing. I consider, you know, the death of the children, the gassing of the children, the 51-day siege, the, the, the crap that the FBI pulled and the ATF pulled, very anti-constitutional, very illegal, as for, in my estimation, from what I witnessed and viewed personally. Um, David had his flaws, too. David was not a great leader. If David were a great leader, not everyone would have died. His kids would not have died, all right? So mistakes were made on both sides. I have, I have no problem or issues with that whatsoever. I'm not here to blow smoke up anyone's butt. I'm not here to be a, 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 a apologist for David Koresh. Um, a true to me personally, and I'm not. I, it, it's it's. I'm in a weird position because David taught what I believe the seven seals are. I know that when he gave a study, it was like the Bible came alive. And for the first time, you understood things that didn't make any sense before. Constantly, over and over again, he made sense of the scripture in a way I've never seen anyone do. So in itself, that's not a bad thing. But where that all led to, obviously, <clears throat> could be argued is a terrible thing. Many, many people died. Um, I still put the majority, the majority of the majority of all that is at the hands of the government. And if you see the series, if you read my book, you'll see all the evidence that I present to show that those people are dead because of the government, not because of David Koresh. And the government wants you to think they're all dead because of David Koresh. Mm -hmm. they're, they're dead because both sides made some pretty poor decisions. But you got to consider, you got the FBI controlling the situation for 51 days, 51 days. They control that entire situation, and they control the evidence. They control what people, how people thought about Waco, right? So when they went in and destroyed the place, people were ready to move on. When Bill Clinton held up his hand and said, if a bunch of religious fanatics want to kill themselves, what can the federal government do about it? That was the last word on Waco. Mm -hmm. But that's not the truth. People didn't kill themselves. People were shot trying to exit the back of the building. We have that on infrared. There is a documentary called Waco, The Rules of Engagement, and a sequel called Waco, 
a new revelation. Probably the de best documentaries that are made on the subject. Everyone should see these documentaries. You'll understand that people are trying to walk to the back of the building. They were being shot down with gunfire. So that's it. We got on. It's on infrared video. The FBI was taking the infrared, by the way, not the Davidians. So they want to say, you know, that, oh, this infrared video is, is it's just sunlight reflections. It's your video, guys. It's, it's infrared video. What that means is if there's something that has, uh, makes a heat source, it comes out as white. We got two explosions, white hot. We got fully automatic weapons fire, flashes going off like this right next to the tanks while the place is burning. You're going to say that's sunlight reflections. That's bull. The only people that believe that are the people that want to believe it because they can't accept the fact that their government could shoot innocent people. And our government absolutely can and did shoot innocent people. Oh, and gas babies to death. Let's not forget that. I got sidetracked, didn't I? I tend to do that. No, that's absolutely brilliant. We'll talk about a little cameo from your cat there. We'll, I'll, I'll make sure to uh, dig into uh, the whole uh, end of the siege and, and stuff like that as we go along. Um, if we can track back, just for clarity, obviously you... Because you yourself didn't realise or think of yourself as a Branch Davidian until the press got a hold of the fact that it was a Branch Davidian compound uh, when the siege was going on. You thought of yourself as uh, a follower of the Seven Seals. Correct. Could, so the Seven Seals, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were the fact that uh, the Seven Seals would open and that would lead to the end of the world. Is that correct? That's a very good question. That's what they want you to believe. <laughs> The press said, place is Ranch Apocalypse. Well, David had a sign that said Ranch Apocalypse, so there's kind of a little truth to that. Yeah. But the actual truth of the matter is what David was teaching was that when the seven seals is revealed in the world, it's actually to usher in the kingdom to be set up. In other words, every single prophet and apostle talks about the kingdom of God. The New Testament talks about the kingdom of God to be set up. Christ says, I go away to set up, make a place for you in the heavens. But literally, all through the Old Testament, every one of the prophets of old and the, and, and the, um, the minor prophets, if you will, they all talk about the kingdom of God to be set up on the top of Mount Zion. And I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm going to give you a real fast, um, without opening any Bible, a real fast... Um, uh, class on it is basically that Mount Zion, which now is a hill, mm -hmm. there's going to be a great earthquake. Mount Zion is going to be raised above all other mountain ranges. The kingdom of God will be set up with walls of fire around it, and only the people living there can dwell in the fire and come in and out of the fire. So you get a lot of the, the oh, the fiery fly, they set themselves on fire because, yeah, this is the actual Old Testament doctrine about the kingdom of God to be set up, that it will happen in Mount Zion in Israel, and people will have a chance to come and learn what God really wants them to know for the first time, mm -hmm. probably since Christ. Because it says God will sit on Mount Zion on the throne, and you can come and learn from God directly. That hasn't happened yet. There hasn't been a great earthquake that's killed a third of the people in the world. Mount Zion is a hill, it's not a mountain range, and certainly there's no fiery kingdom dwelling there. But David believed that his message was going to usher in that prophecy, okay? So in the sense, I, I hate it when they say David was preaching the end of the world. Mm -hmm. 
you could look at it that way. He was really preaching the beginning of the kingdom of God to be set up on the earth. That is the end of the world in the sense that how we know the world, especially white Western civilization. Because now we have to deal with the entire world and with a structure that is led by a creator or God instead of mankind and a bunch of pedophiles. As we're finding out, the more that we learn about Epstein, the more that we learn about Miss Maxwell and all of their dealings with, with the power elite like Bill Clinton and a lot of these individuals who were total pedophiles, how prevalent it is in power. And it's interesting to me that that's the thing that in the press they used against David explicitly. He has many underage kids. He has, he has, he has kids, underage wives, and he's got a lot of kids with them. It's just funny how these same people have been behind all this. History is now showing that they themselves are all pedophiles. I find that very interesting. What did you think of... Um... That, I, I agree with you as well. I, I think that's very interesting. What, do you th what did you think of the fact that um, David Koresh did have 12-year-olds, or did have sexual relations with, with young girls and, and was having children with young girls? And it's funny how the ages get younger and younger and younger as it goes. Okay, listen, mm -hmm. 14's wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm right here to tell you, okay. right? 14's wrong. But I've heard 12, I've heard 11, I've heard 10. So nobody really knows. Mm -hmm. What I know is what I wrote in my book. And what I know for a fact is Michelle Jones, when she had serenity, she was 14. Which means that Inception was probably at 13. Now, Texas state law says 14 with parental consent. At the time, not now. Mm -hmm. So technically... If they were saying that it, that, that it was Michelle was the worst of the cases, that he was still within his legal right because he had permission from the relatives, from Perry, from Perry Jones, to have married Michelle. But that would have made him guilty of polygamy, certainly, because he, had, he was already with Rachel Jones. So anyway, listen, like I said, I'm not here to justify, but let's talk about it honestly. Let's not go down to 10 and 11 if we don't know. For sure, and I said in my book and stayed in my book, when I... Look, I met Michelle. When I met Michelle, I was 23. Michelle was 17, but I didn't know Michelle was 17. Michelle acted like, I looked at her like my peer. Michelle acted more mature than women in the world that I knew that were my age, which is 23 at the time. She acted way more mature than most of the girls I knew because she lived in a community where everyone had to help out. Every, you know, she had responsibilities from a very young age. And that's how the world's lived for thousands and thousands of years. As soon as women reached puberty, they had kids. But it was a survival thing. You know, it's like everyone did chores. Everyone was much, much older and more mature than we are now as a society. Is that right or wrong? It is what it is. We got to look at things historically. Now, personally, uh, I see a 14-year-old girl today. No, they're not ready to have kids. Absolutely not. They shouldn't. Right? Every woman and every person should be able to make their own decisions of how their life should go. Michelle, unfortunately, was born into a community that was scripturally based. When you're born into a scripturally based community, you live in another dimension and another time and another place. Being in a Bible group is like going back in time thousands of years, man. You're in a, it's a different mindset. 
And it's all scriptural. It's all there. It's, it's funny because it's the same thing society says, okay, put your hand on this holy book, raise your right hand. We're going to swear an oath. You're going to tell the truth and the whole truth on the Bible. That's how it used to be when I was young. You had to swear on the Bible to tell an oath. And that would make you tell the truth because it was the holy book. But if you read the Bible, what it really says, it talks about all of this stuff. It talks about, it talks about anti-Semitism. It talks about incest. It talks about all of these things are included in the scripture. So again, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, if you live in the scripture, you dwell in a different world than you and I know being in the 21st century, right? So I'm not, like I said, I, you know, man, I wish that Michelle would have had the opportunities to find out who she was before she had kids. She didn't. Long before I came along and met everyone, she was born into a community that believed in the scripture and believed that this one person was revealing the seven seals, so that made him special. Therefore, many of the girls in the community wanted to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and my attitude coming into it as a 21-year-old, because I met Dave, I was 21, Dave and Steve. I was 23 after when everything happened. To me, it was like, well, this, is, this guy's got this set up this way. All these women that are here are all single, and they all have kids. So is David Krish just taking care of a bunch of single women? That's pretty cool. And as I figured out that he was the father of the children, it's like, well, what happened is over the course of months, I realized that that was each individual's choice. In other words, Nicole Jett, that was her choice to have a child with David, not mine. This happened before I even got there. So I could have flipped out and ran away like many people may have. But I was playing in a rock and roll band in the 80s, man. You know, I wasn't about judgment. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. about the experience of the world and what is going to happen. So I was learning through this experience something that blew my mind, that women of the 90s could live together, share the same dude, and not kill each other. To me, that was a miracle of God. <laughs> so it was just something that, you know, if I were 51 looking back on it, would I have joined the group? Probably not. I was 21, man. I wanted to learn what the scripture said. This guy could show it. And it's all about perspective, man. That's what I'm trying to say. It's about perspective and about time and about maturity. And I am still immature, let alone when I was at 23, which was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> well, let's – so you meet David in 91 um, when you're 21. You know, I've talked more about the sexual proclivities than I ever have with anyone else. I don't know why. Maybe <laughs> I'm, it's legit. I'm a charming fella, David. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you meet you meet David Crush, ninety uh, one in a mu in a record store. Is that correct? Guitar or, Center. Yeah, it was oh, a, a music store. The music store. Yeah. Um, Looking at the electronic drum sets. What gripped you about David straight off the bat? Nothing. <laughs> he looked like he'd be a good guitarist. He had the ripped T-shirt. You know, he had the T-shirt and the ripped jeans. What impressed me more than David was Steve Schneider, David Koresh's manager, who was dressed very nicely in contrast to David, who had the gift of gab and offered me a card and was like, hey, oh, hey, yo, we're looking for a drummer. You're pretty good. You just sat down and played that. Wow, do you think you'd want to jam? You know, that he was that kind of manager. He believed in David. He believed in this guy. I've been all over the world with this guy. Seen everything. Talking about the seven sins. We're talking about the scripture. We know this, this, and this. But really, we want to do some music right now. That's what we're into. But we understand the scripture as well. 
But that's up to you. You don't gotta, you know, you're not gonna be involved in that unless you want it. If you want it, we'll show you. But hey, we're talking music. You get a guy like that, you're like, dude, I'd buy if I you could take a crap on, I would probably buy that from you. Yeah, I will, you know, that's the kind of guy you want to be involved with as far as being in a band and having someone that can, you know, talk your accolades to people in the industry. <clears throat> so I was, I was impressed with the unit with the both of them. Yeah. So what how did that develop into you eventually joining uh or learning more about the seven seals well they asked me to come over and play some music with them <coughs> they offered the compound me or... no we were in hollywood at the time okay. they they owned a property in hall in in uh, pomona outside of in la but outside of hollywood and david had an apartment in hollywood at the time so you know i get to know him through that we went to pomona i played some music with him a few times pretty good you know didn't know where it was going but it's pretty good and then they wanted to show me the scripture. So they came over, we had a Bible study. Over the course of time, I had a few Bible studies. Then they invited me within about six months of getting to know them. They asked me if I wanted to go to Waco. They said that there are gonna be people coming from all over the world to learn something called the seven seals. Right now there's like 30 or 40 people living in Waco at my, at my place. Said he had a ranch, but, um, in the course of the two weeks of being there, there will be 130 and 130, 140 people and they'd start teaching the seven seals. So I didn't really have anything going on at the time I went. I told them they had to pay my bills and that kind of thing and they did, it's fine. So I went to Waco and over the course of the next three weeks, I met a, an a, amazing a group of people. You know, people from all over the world. We had uh, New Zealand, Australia, England, there was yeah there was quite a few people from britain wasn't quite a few people from britain, yeah. i think it was 22 you know it's really funny the majority of them were were were, were black individuals from england mm -hmm. from that london. were studying that were had gone on to higher education and they were studying at seminary school seventh day adventist so they already wanted to know what the scripture really said and david taught them they've all told me the same thing over the course of different uh the, the first week of them coming in they all said that David taught them more about the scripture in a few minutes in one afternoon than they had learned their two or three years of studying at their seminary school. They decided to quit their school and come study with David in America. I heard that over and over and over again. I've read that over and over again as well. Yeah. So, and that's the interesting thing is when you meet them and you hear their stories, it's like, wow, really? So you're studying this. You care about this. See, I didn't really care. I wanted to know what the Bible said, but I was not a holy roller, man. I'm not a Jesus freak, none of that. I didn't, you know, I said my prayers on Sunday, that kind of thing, man. I, you know, I was a good guy, but I wasn't a Jesus guy. And I'm not a, a zealot, I'm certainly not a zealot. But I, but I come from a line of intellectuals in the sense my dad's a history teacher. My grandmother was an English teacher. You know, I come from a line of teachers, so I have an inquisitive mind, and I wanted to know. That's where it is. I was living a life of hedonism, then I started to read the scripture, and all of a sudden, I actually cared about being drunk in public, and I actually cared about sin. And that was a weird thing for me. To me, having a good time isn't a sin, it's having a good time. 
Why is having a good time a sin? Yeah. Well, I think technically it's, well, technically it's a sin because God says it is. <laughs> but truthfully, it should only be a sin if you're hurting someone else. The problem runs into if you become hedonistic and you want to do whatever serves you. So if you want to be with multiple partners, you're going to be with multiple partners. That's probably going to hurt one or two of your partners unless they too are hedonistic. Could you argue by that description that David was hedonistic by having multiple partners? Or is it different because... Well, you could argue that except for the fact that he married him and kept him around, which is... When you look at the Old Testament, a lot of people may not like this. But David Gresh, and I'm going to say this in all all fairness and in all realization, I'm going to look you all in the eye and the audience and say this. David Gresh cared about God more than anyone I'd ever known. Boom. That's it. David Gresh read the scripture and did the will of God. He did what God said to do. Now, there were a lot of kings of Israel. He also believed that he, he being the seventh angel's messenger was kind of like a king. God was talking to him. Well, he named himself after uh, King David. His real name wasn't David Koresh. Sure, David Koresh. Not only did he, but let's take it further. Not only did he name himself after David, well, he says that God gave him the name David Koresh. Okay. Koresh is Cyrus of old, who stood up to the Medes and Persians, there's a uh, Persian king, sorry, stood up to Babylon 1, basically. So where am I going with this? Uh, do I, in David's case, David believed that the Psalms were about that group at Mount Carmel, all of them, Psalms 100, 1 to 150. The Psalms was believed to have been written songs of David, King David of old, yes. So it all ties in very much so. Mm-hmm. Yes, we consider himself to be a lion of the tribe of Judah. Now back to my statement before I get sidetracked, which I tend to do. And that is that David, if it was in the scripture, he did it. I got to figure out how to turn that up. I'm really sorry about that sound every time. Honestly, it's no worries. Good, good. So David, if the scripture said it, he'd do it. So in other words, if we know in in the sense of King Solomon, King David, they have multiple wives. They were kings that could afford those wives. They were allowed to have multiple wives. Fine, he had multiple wives. That wasn't the issue. The issue to him was you had to be able to take care of the wives. You, had to, you couldn't put them off all of your days. You couldn't divorce one or kick one out. Your wives are your wives. You had to be able to keep them together or else you didn't. So that's scriptural. So as far as David was concerned, what he was doing was scriptural. It's, it may not follow your Christian ethic or you know even your hedonistic ethic or or pagan ethic, whatever it is, you, you know, you, you are. But again, he was living in the scripture. Scripture's a thousand years in the past. It's, it's a very different world. That's all I can say. It's a very different world. Yeah, I, I couldn't understand that. Did... Oh, you're doing good. You got some really good questions here. Let's keep oh, them thank coming. you. I'll put that on my CV. I, I feel like I'm getting some second base hits and some... Oh, no, you're smashing out the park. <laughs> I don't know, man. The, um, fastballs, kid. You're pitching some fastballs. <laughs> with, with David having uh, multiple wives, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, and I, you know, and I understand where you're coming from with that. Uh, obviously, there was a point where he basically said that all other 
relationships in the um, at Mount Carmel. Yeah, you're talking about the, there's New Testament scripture that talks about those that have been married and the latter days will be as though they are not married. And Paul, uh, if you're looking at the, the New Testament, Paul says, I wish that you were like me without a significant other, if you will. Those that have significant others are going to suffer more because they're going to have people that they care about in the final days, the latter days, especially when you're talking about the time of trouble, which all the prophets talk about the last group will have to go through the time of trouble, which is times that has never been since the history of man. That's going to be so horrible. People are going to starve. People are going to be killed and beaten for what they believe in. All these things scripturally haven't, you know, are, are, are yet to happen. A lot of people that were religious people believe World War II was the time of trouble. Mm -hmm. Made perfect sense, dude. The whole world was at war. Sure, why wouldn't it be? That's the time of trouble. Jews being killed by the thousands. If you're a Russian under Stalin, 60 million of his own people slaughtered and wiped out just because he was fucking paranoid. What a piece of shit. But this is true. This is true history. Sorry, I, can we swear on this one? Of course, go, go absolutely ape shit. Yes, did. I'm really sorry. But when I think about some of the oppression of history at the hands of dictators like this, it makes me crazy. So anyway, um, millions of people have been wiped out because of narcissism, because of power, you know, all these things that kind of make mankind crappy when we should be something more, we should be something better. Um, what was your question? You had a question. It was really good. I was I yeah. was leading to basically because I I that interests me. What you mentioned about uh, Saint Paul. Uh, I mean, I I'm not uh, personally. I'm not a I I'm not a religious person, but I grew up Catholic and I went to Catholic school, so I I you know stood the Bible and that kind of stuff. Um, obviously he there was a point where people stopped having relationships. Bar David Koresh and David Koresh even had a child with. Uh, Steve Schneider's wife. Did that affect people uh, in the group in any way, in terms of seeing David Crash maybe with their significant other? Sure, but it's what preceded it mm -hmm. that history misses, and and that's what's really interesting to me. There were some people who were kind of glad that it's called the new light, and in the new light. In the new light, the person that's bringing this, this message um, right, has the right to procreate, if you will, or have kids for, for God, if you will. Um, some of the older guys, from what I understand, had been in a relationship a long time, and they were kind of anxious to be out of the relationships and be just single and have their thing with God, if you will. To me, one of the interesting things about David, Judy, and Steve is the vision that he gave the group. And I learned about this later on when he talked about this in the study. And then I went and I asked people and they all said it was true. And, oh boy, David had a thing. I'm gonna go into this story first. Mm -hmm. And then I'll tell you my story if you wanna know it. It doesn't matter to me I'm, at all, but yeah. a weird thing. There've been a few times, probably four times, where David took it out of the park into another level outside of being a human being if you will and one of those was steve and judy and when the new light came steve wanted to leave judy judy wanted to leave first steve wanted to leave then judy wanted to leave and then they ended up deciding to stay 
But what most people don't know is the reason they decided to stay. And it had to do with the vision that David was given. And David exposed the vision in a study. And in this very long study to describe who Judy was, who Steve was, how when they met, Judy was a virgin. Steve and Judy married. They were together as it should be because Steve was deeply, deeply religious. He taught comparative religions, believed the Bible was the way, had a, wanted to marry a virgin, fell in love with a woman that he ended up marrying who he thought was a virgin. And the whole marriage, Judy went on with this facade. David had a vision that Judy and her girlfriends went out one night a long time ago before he met Steve. She met Steve. Met someone at a bar and went into a car and basically had sex for the first time. So David said, God showed me this. And he told the group very specifically the vision that God showed him. He explained the bar. He explained the friend she was with, that she met a guy at a bar. The friends were encouraging her. She went out and had sex with him in a car. And then Steve had to accept this. And, of course, he didn't believe any of this. And Judy denied it. And then apparently a few days went by before another study where Judy broke down, cried, and said, yes, your vision was true. So that was it. At that point, something that David was saying, that he would, Judy wasn't going to tell David this. This was something that the group believed God gave David to show. And then when Judy finally came forward and said, yes, it's true, I was not a virgin when I married you, Steve. Steve had to accept that. Judy had to accept the fact that she had been lying about it. And the whole group had to accept the fact that David exposed it. How the hell did he know that? Is it possible that he was told by someone else? Dude, anything's possible. Yeah. Okay. But who's going to tell him? The guy? That, how is he going to know that? Hmm. Not even Steve knew it. And Judy flat out denied it when exposed in front of the group. So who's Judy going to tell? Now, maybe she did. You're right. Maybe she did tell a girlfriend. But what I'm saying is as far as the group's concerned, that's pretty concrete data. Okay. And certainly it was enough for Steve to accept the message and say, okay, then this guy, God talks to this guy. This is true. I have to go with God. That makes sense. What would you be willing to share your story that you were leaving? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Man. Um, I got a couple stories. But I'll give you one. My stories have to do with spiritual pin downs. And I talk about this because I think it happens to a lot of people and a lot of people out there don't know what the hell it is and it scares the shit out of them. And it's terrifying. But it's what scientists call sleep paralysis, which I think is bullshit. But I'll tell you why I think it's bullshit. Because I've never once been, a, well, no. It's happened to me maybe 10 times. One or two times I was actually asleep. But the majority of the times this happens to me, it's before I'm asleep. And what it is, when I first came to Mount Carmel, a bunch of the guys were telling me about pin downs. And I'm like, what the hell are you guys talking about? They go, well, if you come into the message, you're going to experience it, dude. But what happens is a spiritual force pins you down and holds you in bed. You're wide awake, but you can't move. You can't talk. And all you can do is lay there and look at the ceiling and go, until it lets you up. 
And it takes about 30 minutes, 30 seconds to a minute of holding you down before it lets you up. And it lets you up gradually. And basically you can go, eh, 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 and then you can yell, and then it finally lets you up and you can move your body. And every, every of, all of the young guys told me this story. They've all had it happen to them. Jamie Casillo, uh, Peter Hipsman said it happened to him. It was so severe with him that not only was he pinned down, but he heard demonic voices laughing at him the whole time. Now, for me, it was very interesting. I had never experienced this before. It was probably the first or second day of being at Mount Carmel for the first time, and uh, I was there was a bunch of little houses that peppered the side of Mount Carmel. It was the one big house hadn't been built yet, so it was the cafeteria. There was a hallway that led to the chapel. So there's a chapel, a hallway, and a cafeteria. That's what the whole building was. And then 10 little houses that peppered the side of the road. And I was in like the first or second house with a bunch of young guys. Peter Hipsman was there. Greg Summers was there. Jamie Casillo was there. And most of them slept on the floor. They let me have the couch. I was the guest. They let me have the couch. I'm sleeping on the couch. And I'm laying there. And I'm looking up. I'm going, wow, that's a weird place, man. These studies and all these people are coming in. All these thoughts running through my head. And all of a sudden, I can't move. And I feel a force. I can't be yeah, awake. I was awake thinking about everything. I, I, I couldn't sleep. I was amped because I'm meeting all these people, all the shit's happening. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm held down. I can't move even a pinky or a toe. I'm trying to talk. I can't talk. And I start to hear this whirling sound. Was, whoa, 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 whoa. And it whirls all around my head. You ever heard the car song, Stereo? Where it goes from like the left yeah, to the right? Yeah. The left. It was like that. I heard this whirling sound go all around me from like one perception over here to over here and then back. And I'm like, holy crap. And I'm like, it's okay. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm like, what did Jamie say? Get thee behind me, Satan. That's what Jamie said. And so I'm thinking, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not afraid of you. God's in control here. You can kiss my ass, basically. Is what I'm, well, that's what I say. Now. I'm like, kiss my ass. When it happens to me now, I'm way more flippant now than I was then. Now it's just like, you don't scare me, dude. You have no power whatsoever. And it lets me up. So back to my original story. Mm -hmm. So I'm laying there, and all of a sudden I go, Guys, guys, I can, I can, I'm starting to make utterances. And then finally, all at once, it lets me up and I go, guys! And I like rise up, I just rise up. I'm like, guys, it happened. I was pinned down. And everyone wakes up and they're like, wow, really, you were pinned down? I told them, this, told them the story. And they're all like, told you, we told you. And so the next day, I was like, you know, I finally got to sleep. I woke up. I was going to, there was a bell. Edna Doyle always went to the bell for breakfast and she would ring this bell. It was literally, you were on a farm in, in Texas. Where they'd ring this bell and that's how everyone knew to go to breakfast. So I'm going from the house to the cafeteria. David Crush meets me. He goes, it's because someone had already told him that I had had this experience the night before. Sorry about that. Potential spam. Potential spam. These pricks, they know no bounds. Answer on the, answer on the call. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Hello? Hi, this is David. Pablo? David? Pa Pablo, honey? 
What? What? Is this Pablo? What do you want, Pablo? Oh, Pablo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pablo. Do you have money? Okay, Pablo. you have money for me? Western Union. Pablo? I really, we went from really, really serious to little children prank calling some cold. That's my life. Dude. That's my, I told you, I am not mature. I am not a 51 year old. But anyway, about you, yes, yeah, sorry. So David had already been told. Yeah, so I'm walking up to the cafeteria. He walks to me and he goes, Hey, heard you had an experience. I'm like, Yeah, it was great. And he's like, What? I go, it was great. He goes, most people are scared. I go, are you serious? That was confirmation that there's a spiritual world. My whole life, I wanted confirmation that there was another dimension, that there was a spiritual world, that it, that it was real, that there was something beyond this. And that's how I took it. It was my confirmation. Now, that experience has happened to me probably 10 to 20 times in the course of my life. It has happened often. Not often, often. It usually happens after I do something bad. <laughs> something that I know I'm not supposed to do, but I do it anyway. There was a period of time after all of this mm -hmm. where after I saw the infrared video, really, the rules of engagement came out. I spent about two years of just drinking, drinking and, and, and doing drugs and basically self-medicating because I didn't want to feel the pain that I felt anymore. The pain of bearing Waco was too much. I, it was me against the FBI and the ATF. No one fucking believed me, and yet I'm still telling my story. And frankly, that got to be a bit of a burden, I'll be honest with you. Talking to people who don't believe you, and you know you're telling your story truthfully, you get many people that believe you when you tell the truth. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You cannot fool all the people all the time, which is now 27 years later. There's a six-part series. I got a, you know, I've had a book for years and years. It's taken 20 years for the book to be made into the series. I didn't write the book for money, man. I wrote the book to tell the truth. I was pissed off the way everyone was being um, portrayed. It wasn't right. It was wrong. Yeah. So that's that. You know, it's just like, here's where it is now. People know instinctively if you're bullshitting them. I still get my haters. I get people that think, oh, you're in a cult. You're the, like, whatever, dude. You know, I'm never going to convince you, and I don't want to. I'm not here for you. I'm here for other people that may have had a spiritual pin down and are terrified by it because they don't know what the hell it means. I'm here to say don't be afraid of it. It happens to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. To me, it was a confirmation of another world, that it is there and that you should try to find God. That's what it meant to me. Now, to some people that are more inclined, now, I am inclined to science. I read a lot of scientific, I, you know, if, the, if there's a scientific journal that comes out, I want to know what it says. You know, I take it very, science and religion work hand in hand to me. I don't look at them as enemies. I look at them, in, it's like this. Science is a big part of life. The search for God is a big part of life. I think mankind has lied about the search for God, very much so. And there's a lot of religious people that are scared of science. You shouldn't be. Don't be scared to use what's upstairs. God gave you this. There's an old saying if God, that, that people used to say, if God wanted us to fly, he'd have given us wings. So I'm never going to get on, a, on an airplane. But the other side of that, well, if God didn't want us to fly, he wouldn't have given us the intellect to develop an airplane, you dumbass. So that's kind of how I look at it. Did you get on a t-shirt? 
<laughs> that's a good t-shirt dude with the dumbass part or not yeah obviously, of course yeah it's punchy i want half so, the royalties though yeah they're cool cool <laughs> i look at it that way dude you know what i mean god gave us the intellect to develop these things and the technology that we have and we're probably going to let it destroy us i'll be honest technology is probably going to be the death of us it really is frankly i can't believe we made it from the 80s at the during the 80s we thought in the 50s and 60s we thought nuclear warfare was around the corner at any second. The fact that we made it to 2020 without fucking nuking ourselves, that's a, that's a miracle as far as I'm concerned. So every day is a gift. I thought we were going to destroy ourselves decades ago, and I'm still here. Can't believe it. But my point is this. If you have had the experience of a spiritual pin down, you're not alone. And don't be afraid of it. All right? Just remember, God's in control. If you have any kind of faith, don't let that kind of thing scare you. I think that's that's, that? that, that's beautiful, but I, I generally think that's that's poignant. To... Is this worth staying up for? Because I know it's late for you. Over there, oh, no, right? no, honestly, I will stay up till four o'clock in the morning if you're willing to talk to me. Um, yeah, not... I think we should maybe start to talk about the the siege itself. Um, so, talk me through day one. So, twenty eighth of February, uh, nineteen ninety three, the ATF. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've remembered that. I'm quite impressed. I've revised. Um, so the, the ATF decide to do a horrendously botched raid on uh, Mount Carmel. What talk, us, talk me through that day? Well, the night before they did, a, they started a series called the Sinful Messiah series. And it was, again, it was one of those incredible demonization pieces that was done by the white Tribune herald mm-hmm. and that you know the the undercover guy had been coming over for two months we knew him well robert rodriguez david knew him on a first name basis invited him over all the time he was there that morning i didn't think anything of it you know he'd been over so many times before that i went back to have breakfast he left a lot of people running around and stuff is it true that david wished him t- confronted him about the fact that he knew a raid was coming and, and essentially wished yeah. him well absolutely mm-hmm. he always wished him well he yeah. liked robert he wanted to save robert's soul he wanted robert to come in he believed that robert was someone who was raised as a catholic who had many questions of god david was a- able to answer many of those questions there was an interview with robert rodriguez and he hates him i'm sure he hates it when i bring this up but he did an interview with the dallas morning news and they asked him, was he close? In other words, he'd said that he would go over, he would learn these things that David was teaching, and then his fellow agents would have to shake him around and say, listen, you're here to do a job. You're not here to get converted, Robert. You're here to do a job. And the interviewer said, well, were you close? Meaning, were you close to being converted? He goes, yeah, I was close. So think about that. An undercover guy in just a two-month span was close to being converted by David. Are they going to say that David was a con man? David wasn't a fucking con man. David knew the scripture backward and forward. David was able to show people what the scripture really meant. That's why people responded to David Gresh, not because he was a con man. The FBI still don't get that. They don't understand that. Most people don't understand that. They want to think that a bunch of dummies were influenced by a guy who was very charismatic and gave him everything, including their women. That is so fucking far from the truth, dude. 
And if, I think that's a, a rhetoric that the media or, or any, yeah, do, any right. documentaries in terms of, uh, I mean, I watched a, a Channel 4 documentary on, on Waco, which is essentially trying to summarise Waco, but also be, Channel 4 is a, a channel in, in the UK. Um, and they, uh, the whole kind of glamorization of, ooh, there's a, a cult. Um, it was very much that kind of narration. And I, I think listening to you talk about a lot of stuff brings a lot of clarity regarding, there, there was a lot of misrepresentation of the people there, I think. Yeah. You know, there's a favorite, I usually wait till later in this conversation. But I love, I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with this now. One of my favorite quotes in history, I've committed to, committed to memory, Senator Henry Clay. He was a Southern senator. And in the, he exists in the 1800s. I think it was 1830. Or was it 1893? In the 1800s, Senator Henry Clay said, the devices of power and its minions are the same in all countries and in all ages. First, it marks its victim and denounces it, exciting the public hatred to conceal its own abuses and encroachments. That line blew me away when I thought about it. It's Waco. It's any time you demonize someone, you throw dirt at them. It's all for you to get away with what you're doing, which is castigating that person down. So the more and the louder that you scream, this person is evil, this person is whatever, usually it's you trying to obfuscate who you are and what you're doing. And it's what happened to Waco. Dave, they made David Crash such a demon and such a villain that they literally could go in and gas kids to death and no one would care. They could set the place on fire, use power tanker devices, and no one would care. Bill Clinton could end it all by saying, if a bunch of religious fanatics want to kill themselves, what can the federal government do about it? So that's this, this quote to me. Is, it's, it's historical. It's been known about for hundreds of years how you do it. And this is how you do it. You put it in the words the best way. Mm -hmm. um, hey, can we pause for one second? Can we just pause? The yeah, of course, yeah, definitely. I have to use the loo. That's absolutely fine. Now seems like a better time than any to remind you that you're listening to the All Out Attack podcast with me, Harry Robinson. If you like what you hear, I've done other interviews, both recorded and written, with other members of religious sects and cults, as well as special agents and North Korean defectors, if that's what floats your boat. Links are in the description. Well, I'm getting to the point where I probably shouldn't talk too much longer because I'm getting a little tipsy. Oh, yeah, no, no, no worries. Um... <laughs> Well, we'll go. We'll go back because I do want to talk about the the siege as well. Um, so Ricardo's left. Uh, I think that's where we were at just before you need the loo. Um, what talk me through the the actual the raid and the, when people were starting to approach. Oh, Ricardo. Ricardo. Not Ricardo. Oh, what's his name? That's great. No, you said Ricardo. That's funny. I like that. Um, what was his name? That prick. Um, you, are we recording? Uh, yeah, now, but I mean, it's my blunder, isn't it? I don't see. The, oh, I see the recording thing. Um, his name was. Um, oh my god, dude, that's crazy. You were, um, you were Robert, in, Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez, that's it. Yeah. Is that is that like 
I don't know, subtle cultural blindness for me to just assume he has some Hispanic name. Oh, he's Hispanic. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Do you ever speak to him? Have you ever been in contact with him afterwards? Or What? He came out to a memorial on his Harley because he just won a major lawsuit against um, one of the, I don't know, one of the news groups or something. He was a, He's a millionaire now. Really? It's funny how all, all the victims have nothing. We don't have a pot to fucking piss in. But these government guys can sue the government and make a shitload of money because the government basically threw them under the bus. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's fun. It's real fun being poor when the government owes you for all the shit they did to wreck your fucking life. And these government agents get all kinds of money. And they get to retire and they get a pension and they get all that. That kind of shit really sucks, dude. I got to tell you, that hurts. Um, so yeah, so Robert's left. <laughs> Robert left on uh, on day one. What happened after? Uh, Talk me through the the kind of panic after that because you said there was a bit of hustle and bustle and. Yeah, that's where we were, weren't we? Uh, there, we started to hear a helicopter in the background. I was in the cafeteria area, and I was finishing breakfast. David comes down from the upstairs, and there was a couple people with him, and he said. No, don't anyone do anything stupid. They're coming. They're on their way. We want to talk to them. We want to work it out. That's what we're all about here in Mount Carmel. And so he ran down the hall. And all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. And it sounded like a bunch of fire coming from there, from up the hall. I got down on my face. Uh, The shooting went on for 45 minutes or so. But really, when, you know, you're being shot at, it's for me, I went into a tunnel. And I was just kind of, you know, yeah, it's terrifying. You're in shock. But what happened after the siege, after the ceasefire, I talked to Kevin. Everyone I talked to at the front door all told me the same story. They said the Koresh is at the front door. He held the door out with one hand. He had his hand out. He said, hold on, there's women and children here. Let's talk about this. And the door flew back from the velocity of bullets hitting it. He fell back. Perry Jones, who was standing behind him, a 70-year-old unarmed man, got hit in the stomach and went down screaming. When that happened, some of the guys at the front started to shoot back at the ATF guys. It turns out at the trials in San Antonio that the first shots were fired at the dogs. The ATF had a team that came around to shoot the dogs specifically. We had five Alaskan Malmutes who were all penned up in an area in front of the building. They could not have harmed these agents. Yet, those pricks, the first thing they did was shoot our dogs. So, I'm an animal lover. So every chance I can, I, I basically say, if your job is to go and shoot dogs, why don't you get a job at fucking Burger King and Flip Burgers? Because you're doing society more of a favor than shooting someone's fucking animals. That's your job. Seriously, what an asshole. What asshole is on that fucking crew that goes in and shoots someone's fucking pets? Well, I think it's sick, mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. I got a little passion there. Sorry, guys. Sorry, I try to keep it cool. But really, I think that's an ass nine thing. So anyway. I think a lot of people um, agree with you, to be fair. Other people say there was one guy who recanted his testimony. But one of the other guys, the ATF guy, said he reached for his gun and it went off. And he felt that was the first shot. And that many people started shooting after he shot. That's one testimony. And yet, I talked to Kevin Whitecliffe, who was at the back of the building, who swears to me that the first shots were fired by the helicopters. The helicopters came in shooting. They shot Peter Gent on the tower, and then they shot Livingston Blake, who was sitting in his room, 
His room, his, the, the window to his room happened to be in front of a, outside of the window was a 500 gallon water tank, big round water tank. And they fired through that. I actually saw the, I saw, okay, where the tank curves, mm -hmm. there's an entry wound and an exit wound right where the curvature is. So right on the side of the tank. And I saw the water pouring into the Livingston Blake's room. And I noticed Livingston Blake, a body laying there that was Livingston Blake. So they shot him. After they cleared his body out, I went and I looked at the velocity of the bullet. I looked at the trajectory. I got down and there were plastic durs that were coming out from the exit hole. So I could tell it was fired from the outside in. I looked to where the, it would have been shot from, and it was shot from the air between the two towers. There was the tower that Peter Gent was shot on, and that big tower that was on the, in the center of the building. And the helicopter was directly between them when they shot Winston Blake. So there's no doubt in my mind that the helicopter shot. Plus, we also saw evidence of the sheetrock in the ceiling was, was coming down from the ceiling from being shot from the outside in. So the helicopters absolutely fired into the building. They denied this forever. But the truth is the helicopters did fire into the building. Yeah. Did How many casualties were there it, from on the... Uh, the four, six on our side, six dead. Four yeah. on their side and 22 wounded on their side. I, it's, I just, we had six dead and a few wounded. Yeah, well, David was one of them, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, David was in the hand and in the hand and the wrist and in the side mm -hmm. who else was wounded in the wrist and the side oh. when they were 33 2000 years ago just saying it's kind of an interesting funny yeah fact. well and the fact that um many i mean maybe you can uh verify this but the way someone put it when i read an article was that david made an almost miraculous recovery considering how in a bad how much in a bad state he was. Yeah. I mean, it's... Well, honestly, when you look at the wounds, they were superficial. But he was, seemed to be in delirium for a little bit of time there, so we didn't know if he was going to live or die, especially directly after. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, once you realize, I mean, you know, it's one of the... In the side side, right in the side. You could tell, you know, it didn't touch any organs or anything, but at the time, we didn't know that. Yeah, of course. But um, yeah, it was... a recovery in the sense that the next day he was like walking around and stuff so what happened I, I think after after day or after the big raid in day one um the atf went back uh and everyone was speaking to david is that right did people get a chance the fbi, the but, FBI had taken over and the uh negotiators yes. were trying to establish a negotiation with with yeah, um, with Stephen Schneider and David Crash, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, after those negotiations, many children came out. You know, it was after I think they took the first. Gary Nesner was one of the guys that was on early, and he was really good with Dave, and Dave was respecting that. When they took him off, and then there was a couple other guys that David liked. They kept changing it up. They kept taking off the good negotiators. And that's when David didn't want to do it anymore. They were just like, oh, you guys are fucking lying to me. You're saying you're going to do this, and you guys do the exact opposite of what you say you're going to do. You take out the negotiators that we like and want to work with, and then you think that, what, we're going to work with you? I mean, you're lying to us. They destroyed all 
kind of harmony that we had with the negotiators. They destroyed it. I think there was a, from the FBI side of it, there seems to be a lot of quote unquote infighting or, or very miscommunication between branches in the FBI and they weren't seeming to get on. According to FBI agents, anyway. Negotiators and the tactical commanders had two different ways of viewing it. The negotiators are telling us one thing. The tactical commanders are doing something totally opposite. That obviously is going to cause a great misharmony. People aren't going to trust them. And we didn't. They lied to us. Daily they were lying to us. Why the hell would we believe them? They lost all credibility with us. Not only that, they were mooning the girls. They were giving us the finger. They were standing on the tank showing us their balls. We're not impressed, man. Not impressed. These yeah. guys did not behave like they were professionals. They behaved like they were immature little fucking punks. And that's the FBI for you. Or at least the, the ground forces. Mm. And then the helicopters would buzz the building. And then they set up the psychop systems where they were playing like Nancy Sinatra's. These boots are made for walking for 24 hours. They play the sounds of rabbits being slaughtered. They play, they take the phone off the hook and play that for 48 hours. Well, they played. They played monks chanting as well, didn't they? And that was great. That was actually very relaxing, and I love that. Well, I wish they would have played more of that shit. The, the Dalai Lama complained, apparently, didn't he? About the we enjoyed it. Thank you, Dalai Lama. Yeah. I love the Dalai Lama. I mean, that's no. I, you listen. <laughs> I love Buddhism. Any religion that's all about peace to the point where you don't even want to destroy a creature—that's a pretty beautiful religion, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Nothing but mad respect for the Dalai Lama. But yes, he complained because the FBI used it to torture people. But frankly, I'd like to let the Dalai Lama know that during the siege, one of the greatest, the best nights for me was when they were playing the Buddhist monks chanting. That was just so relaxing. I really well, loved it. I'll make sure he, he watches this to find yeah, that out. Right. I don't understand why they would think that would be a torture technique. And let me just say this. Here's the FBI trying psychops on us. That's, that's psychological operations, right? So let, let me get this straight. You guys are saying we're a cult, right? That we've touched, or that we lost touch with reality. We believe in a guy that is a con man, right? And you want to make us even more, and that we have firearms. Okay, we have firearms. So we have automatic weapon firearms that we could use against you. And you want to make us more unstable by playing loud music 24-7 what kind of fucking rationale is that? What kind of what kind of fucking brilliant, brilliant PhD did you guys consult to think that would be a good way to deal with an armed group who you call a cult? Well, the the no, the it's, re it's ridiculous. The science thing really confused me. Who the fuck would think that up, dude? Who would think that up? That okay, these guys are unstable. Let's make them even more unstable. So they don't fucking shoot it. What are they, they, I say it like this. Here's why I say it like that. They wanted us to shoot at them so they'd have an excuse to come in and wipe us out, dude. That's what they were trying to get. That's what they wanted. They wanted us to lose our fucking minds and shoot at them. And the fact we didn't, that we showed the ultimate discipline, really pissed them off even more. Think about that for a minute. Why else would they try to make us unstable and unrational? I... I'm a very peaceful person. I study Gandhi, Martin Luther King, passive resistance. I'm all for it. 
Yet there were times, even in my peaceful mind, I wanted to shoot those speaker systems out because they were driving me fucking crazy. Now think if this group was a little bit more, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Unrational or more zealous than you want to give us credit for being zealous. You know, seriously, you could have easily had somebody in that group shoot those speaker systems out. Then what would you have done? You would have come in and shot us because that's what you wanted to do. That's what I think the FBI wanted. I think they wanted us to shoot those speaker systems out so then they could react and shoot us. That makes that's sense. what I believe to this day that they were trying to accomplish with the Psychops. Well, the, the Psychops thing is confused. I'm not sure if you've ever had the chance to read... Uh, the Men Who Stare at Goats by John Ronson. Oh, yeah. Fantastic book. Wait, I mean, the Waco siege is mentioned in that. The, of course it, is. it all stems from, um, like, a, a man, a, a general, I think called General Stubblebine, who, who believed that certain sounds could make people peaceful and certain sounds could deteriorate the brain. And if he thinks hard enough, he can walk through walls. And this is the, the techniques that, you know, bless him, but his, bless his cotton socks that he believed all this. But these are the kind of <laughs> techniques that the FBI were taking to try and deal with a highly sensitive siege of, of a building. I mean, it, that, that's something that really does baffle me. And the, the fact that uh, some, of the, some of the agents were working off their own accords regarding that as well i mean there was one where the the rabbit being slaughtered was a hunting sound that one of the agents used when he went hunting at the weekend apparently um and he decided that'd be good just just to play that to to wind them up and to torture them or mentally yeah um trouble them it, it yeah it, it it shows when you think fbi in terms of the way the fbi is portrayed in, in the media I mean, I imagine you don't think of this with the FBI, but it, it's meant to be men in suits and and very, I don't know, very formal and and secretive. And I mean, it just seems like they've cobbled together this mental plan with no real structure to it. And there's infighting. And, and you you cannot doubt. I don't think they're supposed to, the very least, be professional. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I told myself I'd come into this interview completely neutral and, and unbiased, and you know, if you can convince me one way or the other, that's great. Um, but that is one thing that really does. I think it shows that there's no professionalism really by one of the most professional. Yeah, the truth is, that I, I'm glad that you said this like that, mm -hmm. and I don't mean to sound crass with what I'm about to say. But I'm going to sound crass. I personally don't give a shit. <laughs> no, let, me, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me try to explain why I'm saying that I don't give a shit. I do. I care what you think. I really do. <clears throat> but there's a part of me that doesn't because I know what the truth is. Of course. I know what my experience was. And I have told that experience and I've told that truth over and over again. And what I mean when I say uh, I don't give a shit I give a shit about what you think and, and, and care and feel. What I don't give a shit about is how what I say is perceived because what I say is what I say. I try to be very clear. There's times I'm not. There's times I go off on a tangent. I get that. But I think 
90% of the people out there who hear my voice and, and look me in the eye, and I will look you in the eye, know that I've been telling the truth. What can I do for the other 10%? Nothing. Those are fucking people you can't reach. Dude, there's people that think that Trump is Cyrus of old reincarnated come to save the world. I can't help those individuals, my friend. I can't fucking help them. I mean, seriously, if you, I should not go here, but I'm gonna. If you can't see what Trump is at this point, what can I do for you? You know, you're, chances are you're an American because I'm sure there's not many Europeans that believe in Trump. Maybe there are. I don't fucking know. What do I know? Um, what I know is there's many of my fellow Americans who I love because they're Americans believe that Trump is the next best thing to slice bread. And it boggles my mind, my friend. It boggles my mind. But there are still people that believe that. And you know, honestly, this is America. In America, you have the right to worship a frog if you want. You have the right to worship a man that is orange with a fucking bad hair, hair piece that is crazy and just that kid. Look, I didn't think anyone would come along and make George Bush Jr. look good. All right. But someone did. It's happened. <laughs> really, my worst fears have been made manifest in this country, my country that I love, America. So all we can do is deal with it. We got to get through it one day at a time. Yeah. See, now I've lost half my, well, I've lost at least a quarter of my audience. But whatever, it's like, seriously, come on, man. Come on. They're sending troops in to Portland who are grabbing people off the, the street, putting them into a van and taking them away. That's the shit the Gestapo did in Nazi Germany. That's the shit that we should heed from history and say, that can't happen in America. And that's what's happening in America. And you know what? We deserve it. We just, we voted them in. And I, you know, I'm, whatever happened, whoever got the, it doesn't matter who got the most votes. He is the president. Mm -hmm. That guy is the president. The orange one is the president. Now, maybe the Democrats are no better. I'll tell you, there wasn't really much of a choice between Hillary as a criminal, a piece of crap, as far as I'm concerned. She was in office when they destroyed Waco and Bill Clinton, her husband said, a bunch of religious fanatics want to kill themselves. What can the federal government do about it? These people are evil. They're wrong on both sides. There was no choice. There was no choice. Okay. Um, I mean, Lincoln. Just, uh, you would think we could do better. That's all I'm saying. You know, you would think a superpower like America could do better than Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. There has got to be two fucking better people on opposite sides that the American public can choose from for the fucking presidency, the most important role in the world leader of the superpower of the world you would think we could do better than those two individuals so that just shows how the fix is truly in i mean it doesn't linking, matter who wins linking that to um your experiences i mean in terms of government and governmental organizations did you lose uh, a faith following your yeah i'm looking i'm looking up historically let's look at it historically these are these are all cycles that have happened before great nations have fallen. I mean, look at the look at America's dividing itself, dude. It's crazy. We are we are a divided nation. We are totally polarized. And I try to be a voice between both sides. 
I don't do a good job when I attack Trump the way I just did. But I just, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help it, dude. I can't, I can't help it. I can't help it. I want the smartest person in the room in that position, not the most fucking narcissistic. Period. I want the smartest guy in the room. It's not him. His lawyers, maybe. He may have some lawyers that have been able to deceive the country and keep his taxes from coming out public, but not him. I'd rather have his lawyers run if that's the case. Hold on, I take that back. Hold on, I take that back. <laughs> I just look. I just don't get it. I, I, I just don't. I don't understand why Americans don't want the greatest. They want to settle for someone like Trump, and why there are people in the world that think he's Cyrus of old, come back to drain the swamp. Who's he going to drain? This? He's three. Listen, Donald Trump is a member of the three percent, dude. He does not give a shit about the working class. Ask any contractor who worked on those fucking hotels in Atlanta, dude. They all got screwed over. But you know, Donald Trump, Donald Trump has screwed over more contractors than Asian hookers. I'm serious. It's just Allow true. The as well. It's just true. They're all crazy. They're all they're all fucking great. Anyway, we we could do better. Is the point? We should have done better. Yeah. Right, let's I get think. off politics. I'm sorry, you know, I didn't mean to go here. No. Honestly, talk about what you want. I do want to get through the narrative of, of Waco, though, before the end. So. <laughs> All right, let's do that. Let's go back there. Okay. So, right. So, I mean, how, how many nights were throughout the siege were they playing or blasting sounds and warped music and Nancy Sinatra? Most of them. I'd say three weeks. Yeah, Let we me just say this before we move on. I'm going to say this before we move on. Listen, Donna, if you want to start actually cleaning the swamp, and you throw some of these murderers in our government in jail, I'm happy with it, all right? If you take Lonti Horiuchi, who killed Vicky we uh, uh, Sarah Weaver's family, who shot Vicky Weaver in the face, you want to put him in jail? I'm all for you, kid. If you want to throw in some of these fucking people you actually claim that you're here for America and you want to drain the swamp, start throwing the criminals in jail. But no, what do you do? You pardon Roger Stone. Sends a great message, pal wonderful why don't you start doing what you fucking said you would throw some of these assholes in jail get rid of them get rid of the government murderers you do that maybe i'll believe in you how's that well said my i'll make sure he hears he hears the podcast as well Peace tone. I've, I've got him and the dalai lama on my contact i got enough problems dude i don't need that shit <laughs> right so yeah going back so three weeks of um yeah, three weeks of noises. How much did it affect the, the camp as a whole? You know, in a whole, we were ready for everything. We were ready for the worst. We took it. We had um, we had earplugs in. When you're tired enough, you put your earplugs in, you're going to sleep. Mm -hmm. It was probably harder on the children than anyone. But you sleep. When you're tired, you sleep. Your body learns what to do, and you get through it. It was an experience that was meant for us. We were meant to go through harsh experiences. We all understood that coming into this, that if you study and follow God, that God's going to give you trials and tribulations. It made us stronger. We were prepared for the worst. We knew the government was going to come in and kill us. I mean, that kind of fits in with the the teachings of and the rhetoric of, of uh, the people in the group being ready for death. How truthful is that? Or, Very true. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I saw, I've, I've seen. No, listen, 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 we didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. But what did Christ say? Pick up your cross. You want to follow me? Pick up your cross and follow me. How many Christians actually believe that? Very little. I won't say none. 
Very little. I actually think that they're going to fall Christ on the death. All right? Well, what, what is faith in God? Faith in God is who cares about this life? We're we're, you're, you're going to die, kid. You're 19. You're going to die. I'm 51. I'm going to die. I can't believe I made it to 51. I could die tomorrow. I could die 30 years from now, but I'm going to die. I am going to die. Everyone, you're worried about Corona? Cool. You're going to die. You may survive Corona, but you're going to die. So what do I tell the ATF and the FBI guys now? I look them right in the eye and I say, well, through the camera. And I say, you're going to die. You guys are enjoying your fucking, are you enjoying your retirement? Are you enjoying your pensions? Yeah? Are you? You enjoying your pension? Are you losing some sleep at night because you killed a bunch of fucking kids and you gassed them? You probably should lose some fucking sleep at night because what you did was fucking evil and it was wrong and you represented the wrong side. So where are you now? Have some of you found Jesus? Have some of you found Buddha? Are some of you spiritual? Are some of you guilt-ridden? Well, Dave Timido has the answer for you. I can look in the mirror every night. I sleep like a baby because I followed who I believe was God. I followed the right path. I was willing to die for that path. You're going to die. You guys are probably pretty close. So why don't you come forward with what happened? If you were at the back of that building and you were one of the shooters next to the tank shooting in the building, unburden your soul, my friend. The truth will set you free and the free will seek the truth. That's what I write in the books that I sign for people. The truth will set you free, and the free will seek the truth. That's all I'm seeking here is the truth. I know there was an article. Over 100 agents knew that, that pyrotechnic devices were used in the building that day, on the last day. Six or seven pyrotechnic devices were found in the evidence locker. They were, they, they were called silencers. They were, they were misidentified. That's why they sat there for three years and people didn't realize they were actually pyrotechnic devices. And the government could say, we didn't use any pyrotechnic devices in Mount Carmel because they misrepresented the pyrotechnic devices. They call them silencers. The truth is they were pyrotechnic devices and they were found by our people. We know, we know there were seven pyrotechnic devices used in, in, in the building, found in the areas where the fires began. Let's give, let's, oh, sorry, let's give context to the, the last day of the siege as a whole anyway for, for people who may not be familiar with the story because um, obviously it did end with let's finish my point and then you go back oh yeah of course sorry I, 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 I can soundbite this Here, I'm going to soundbite it you're going to die now you can die with a lie on your fucking conscience or you can take the time right now to go on Facebook or go on fucking YouTube, or go to my website, wacosurvivors.com, and write me an email and tell me that you had a hand in it. There's an article that 100 agents knew that there were pyrotechnic devices, and every one of you shut the fuck up about it and said nothing. You said nothing about it. How about those that shot people trying to exit that building? Was it Delta Force? Who are you? Who are the shooters? One of you. Clear your conscience and come forward and talk to me. Any of the survivors, tell us what really happened to the back of that building. You know you shot at people. Someone knows, and you're all going to die, and you're going to have to face a judgment. Maybe you don't believe you're going to face a judgment. But let's just do this. Let's do this. 50-50 chance. 50 chance that it's all science. God doesn't exist. 
and you get to fuck, fuck anyone you want, kill anyone you want, it doesn't matter. Let's say it's a 50% shot. And there's a 50% shot that God or spirituality or a universal justice is true, and you're going to have to pay for your actions. 50-50 shot, my friends. Do you want to chance it? Do you want to chance it and think you're right? Or do you want to face what you did in this world without confessing it with a possibility you may never exist again for the world to come? Do you want to take that shot? I'll take that shot. I'm on the right side. You're not. Why don't you come forward, unburden yourself. Tell the survivors what really happened. That's your way to salvation. You hear me? That's your way to salvation. Tell us what really happened. Tell the truth. It's that simple. I think that's preference something now. No, I think that's it. That's a great point. Uh, I just wanted to make provide context for because you were mentioning the fires. I just wanted to provide context for people who might watch it who don't know the story. Basically, they talk talk me through day fifty one. So everyone is in tanks of approach. Tanks have approached um, Mount. Yeah, they, they woke us up early in the morning when they uh, say that they're going to start ramming the building actually they said they were going to start injecting seat uh, tear gas through um uh what they called ferret rounds they're going to start shooting them in and they did they shot about 158 ferret rounds in the course of the morning 300 and something i think all together they ran out and they had to call for more when they couldn't get any more right away they decided to ram the building and start directly inserting tear gas through barrels on on, on the tank arms and basically, they put a two-day supply of CS gas in the building within six hours. The original plan called for two days. They were supposed to gas us over two days. And they claimed that we were shooting at them. Nobody was shooting at those tanks. Nobody in the area I was in. I didn't hear a gunshot all day. And I was very surprised that people weren't shooting at the tanks, but I was very happy about that. So when they said that they were receiving gunfire, I knew that they were lying, and I knew that they were setting the American public up for a complete fucking slaughter. That's what they were doing. And so to make a long story short, they gassed us for six hours. The CS gas, there was so much CS gas in the building that when it, it's, CS gas is a powder. So it's like a, a grain silo. If you are to present a flame, it's gonna go up like a big ball of flame, okay? The second thing is CS gas technically isn't flammable, but the propellant for CS gas is methylene chloride. That's the same shit that you find in, um, paint thinner. Methylene chloride is flammable. That's how it propels the powder all over the room, methylene chloride. So you can't tell me that shit wasn't flammable. It was absolutely flammable. When you look at the manufacturer's uh, pamphlet on CS gas, it says never to use inside. It's a riot control agent only to be used outdoors, never inside. And they put a two-day supply in the building in six hours. They did this so once they started to make the big holes in the building and they caused an oxygen flow system, right, that once a flame was introduced, it would cause a huge fireball that would go down the halls and catch everything on fire and the place would burn up very quickly. If you notice the videos of the fire, right, the first 15, 20 minutes of those videos of the fire are black. The fire is black. It's a dark black. That's not a clean fire. That's a chemical fire, my friends. That's from the CS gas burning off. Consequently, when the CS gas burns off, it causes a uh, cyanide poisoning. CS gas 
when you add heat and burns is cyanide. Many of the kids died of cyanide poisoning. Their bodies bowed backwards from the cyanide breaking their backs and contracting their muscles. Many of the kids died from the CS gas being poured into the concrete structure of the tanks, went all the way through the center of the building. They made holes in the side of the building. I actually saw a tank come through where the two double doors was by the cap by the chapel area, and I had to I had to jump back from the door to so I wouldn't get hit by the tanks. But what I didn't see until later after I watched the video is I saw the tanks go through the front of the the front of the building all the way to where the concrete structure was, and they put so much gas in there, they actually gassed the kids to death. Now, when I was watching the six-part series being filmed, mm -hmm. one of the last days of filming was they were filming, they were filming the gas attack. And they had the scene of the tank go in and poke a hole in the concrete structure and gas the kids to death. And that was a very hard scene for me to watch because I had put that out of my head for years. I chose not to real. I chose not to realize what really happened in that concrete structure. I knew, I knew they gas kids to death, all right. But I put it. I I, com, I compartmentalized it and put it down in the dungeon of my head, my mind. Mm -hmm. But when I saw it, I could never forgive the image. I saw them gassing those kids, and I felt like I was a witness to Auschwitz. <coughs> I felt like I was outside looking in the window as the Jews were dying and being gassed. That's how I felt being on that set. They didn't use Zyklon B, they used CS gas. It was still gas that was to be used outdoors. They still gas the kids to death, just like the Nazis. And there's no difference. I don't give a shit what you say. You can look at me and say, oh, Nazis, you think the government's intention? Yeah, I think they acted like fucking Nazis. They fucking gas kids to death. So you can put any fucking cover coating, chocolate coating you want on it, but they gas children to death. They did. They fucking did it. They fucking gassed them to death, just like the Nazis. And I'll challenge you to challenge me on it because it's the truth. And I'm sick of fucking people fucking tiptoeing around the truth. Our government gassed children to death. Period. End of story. All your minds, all your PhDs, you couldn't come up with a better fucking plan than gassing kids to death? Who the fuck do you think? You work for us, FBI, ATF. You fucking work for us. Our tax dollars pay your bills. And once the American public realizes that, you're in fucking trouble. And I hope they realize it sooner than later. Because I'm sick of waiting, dude. 27 years are you guys enjoying your pensions and getting away with gassing children to death. Shame on you! How fucking dare you! And I do want one, one FBI guy, one ATF guy to come forward and tell me the truth. Stop lying about it. Tell me the truth. Tell us the truth. It's time. The time has come for you to tell us the truth. The time has come for you to tell the truth. Do you think time any has come. FBI agents or ATF agents feel any sort of remorse? Or... I hope so. If they're human at all, they should. The question is, do they want to screw with their pensions? Probably not. Do they want to let down other law enforcement officials? Do they want to let down their... Their peers in the FBI, do they want to let down their, 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 um, their higher-ups in the ATF and the FBI? Do they want to let down the people that got them where they were? Probably not. But you may get that rebel, that one person that says, you know what? God's more important to me than my subordinates, than, 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 the, than, the, 
the, the forces that I served. God has become more important to me than the forces I served when I was younger. Maybe there is a few out there that want to tell the truth. Maybe there's a few out there that actually care about America and want to say, you know what? Here's the truth. Look at all the people that came forward about UFOs. It was like 10 years ago. 20 scientists came forward saying UFOs are real. We've been working with them for a long time. Do you know about this? It's true. Yeah, I, I saw the article that went around that, yeah. I, I, you know, ironically, to pardon the pun, flew under the radar almost. Yeah, didn't it? Isn't that funny how that works? It did fly under the radar. But guess what? These are 20 people that have spent their lives for science. You think they're going to sit there and lie? Are you going to get 20 people liable to say, no, dude, these people are telling the truth. And it's the government that wants you to feel like you're an idiot for believing in conspiracy theory. Yet they're lying to us all along, dude. They don't think we can handle it, man. You don't think we're sure enough to handle it? I do. I know. The oh, sorry. People know what's going on now. That's all right. No, I'm just, I'm long-winded. No, no. Uh, I, I mean, you don't, you don't have to answer this, and I'm not saying it to provoke anything. Um, but what, sure, is, what is your take on the FBI's claims that the fires were started from inside? Not that I believe that. Not that. It's I fine, mean, dude. It's fine, dude. Don't worry about it. You yeah. should ask the question. The truth is, all of the survivors believe that the fire was started by the FBI, except for one. And that one is Graham Craddock, the guy from, from, um, from Australia. And he recently did a 60 Minutes thing where he said that he heard people say, light some fire, light the fire. And then he heard someone say, no, not inside, outside. So was that two people trying to put, make a Motov cocktail to maybe keep the tanks back? Were they just like the, in the, during the Russian Revolution when they were throwing uh, Motov cocktails at the tanks? That's possible. That may have happened. I'm not going to say Graham's a liar. I don't know. I've not been able to talk to Graham. He does not return my emails. So I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he saw. And I'm never going to tell somebody or call one of my friends a liar because I didn't see what they saw or they didn't see what I saw. I know in my area and all the survivors I've talked to, not one that I know personally has told me that they spread fuel or started a fire. I, in the area I was in, did not see anyone spread fuel or start a fire. I heard someone yell from the upstairs, there's a fire. And then I tried to go upstairs to get to where the kids were. I couldn't get to where the kids were. They were at, and what I, I thought they were going to be put into, the, into the, the underground bus. I didn't know they were being put in the concrete structure. Mm -hmm. But the only, the tanks had destroyed. They made a debris field so you couldn't get down the hall. The only way I could possibly get was through the back going upstairs over the catwalk. Uh, to where the second story um, hallway was. When I got to the second story hallway, I opened a curtain and a wall of flame shot down in front of me, all the way down to the other end of the building. So I knew I couldn't get into that hallway. It was awash with flame by the time I got there. So I don't know what happened. All I know is nobody that I saw set a fire. I cannot speak for Graham Craddock. And frankly, it's only his testimony that troubles the hell out of me because he's the only one that says he saw people light a fire. Mm -hmm. And what he actually says is he said that I heard people say start a fire and then someone says, no, not inside, outside. 
which indicates to me that they could have been trying to keep one of the tanks back and they yeah. did not mean to set the place on fire. Well, if they want to set the place on fire, then why do it outside where there's yeah. cameras? Yeah. Not only that, why did the FBI says that the order to start a fire started, was given at 6 a.m. Why did it take the fire six hours to start? So my point's this. It's quite possible that, that people on the other side of the building started a fire. I don't know. I wasn't on the other side of the building. I can only speak from my side of the building. But what I can say is that you can't just go by what the government says. They want you to believe that the people inside started the fire. I'm sorry. Talk to any survivor other than Graham. They all say no one started a fucking fire. What? We're going to lie? Holy shit. We're there to serve God and the truth. I'm just saying, dude. I'm just saying. I, you know, I don't know what Graham saw. But I know for a fact six pyrotechnic devices were found in the building after the FBI lied about it for three years. They lied about it. They said there were no pyrotechnic devices in the building for three years. They looked in the camera, knowing that there were pyrotechnic devices that they had used, and they lied for three years. Mm -hmm. That's your government. All I'm saying is there's another, there's another way to look at things. There's another side that never gets presented on any national documentaries. Well, that, never does. It well, never does. That's All documentaries, other than the rules of engagement, end with the Davidian start of the fire. Do you realize that? Well, all, the, all, all the ones that I watched in preparation for this interview, yeah. were always on the fence and never mentioned anything about pyrotechnic devices. It's ridiculous. Do you... Would you and mind... Pyrotechnics exist. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. The physical evidence of the pyrotechnic devices exist. It's not, I'm not making it up, guys. It's true. It's fucking there. Go to my website, wacosurvivors.com, wacosurvivors.com. Go to the shop. I have documentaries, Waco the Rules of Engagement, Waco on New Revelation. I got my book, all this stuff, all the information that talks about this. I have all of the FBI for free, by the way, no charge. The FBI and David Christian and Steve Schneider, all, all the transcripts of the negotiation tapes for 51 days are all on my website. You can literally read every communication between David Krish and the FBI on my website. I'll link for free. That. I'll link that below. You yeah. might learn some stuff, my friends. You might learn some stuff. Do you mind talking me through... So you get to the upper hallway and there's a, a wall of flames. How do you get out of the building? Or talk me through what, what was Sure, happening. I went back downstairs and back downstairs right between the gym and the chapel area because we were all in the chapel area the whole day. Between the gym and the chapel area, there was a crawl space. And in that crawl space is where everyone was kind of hanging out. The tanks, what no one could see, is at the back of the building. The tanks had come all the way into the gym and destroyed it. They leveled the gym. They actually brought the gym down to nothing, to rubble. They <laughs> totally destroyed the back of the gym. You can see that on the rules of engagement. Um, but no one was really allowed to see that because there was a media blackout at the back of the building. So the four people that I came out, I came out with me and three other people, all came out of the side of the building where the cameras could still see us. We came out of a hole one of the tanks made. Myself, Derek Lovelock, Jamie Castillo, and Clive Doyle came out of that hole. And we walked to where the Red Cross sign was. I got halfway up. I turned around. And I saw the big explosion. The place blow up. It was a propane tank next to the tower that exploded. And they arrested us. Uh, four people came out of my area. 
The other five came out of the front of the building, or four came out of the front, one came out of the – only one person came out of the, the back and survived, and that was Graham Craddock, which is really interesting because that's where people were being shot. So I would love to talk to Graham Craddock, but he won't return my email, so I can't. Um, which well, I, find very, I find that very disturbing, actually. Yeah. What were your feelings at that moment? I mean, I, I was in shock. I was in tunnel vision. It looked like it, I was, my head became a camera. Where I just see this field of vision. I would turn around. I saw the explosion. I turned around. I saw the Red Cross sign. I just went to it. And it was very much like that. It's like a shoot, And then I got to where two FBI guys were, and one guy straps on my back and another guy had a pad of paper he's like where are the kids you got to live with us for the rest of your life where are the children and i said the children are in the end they should be in the underground bus you know all about the bus and the other guy looked at him he said we tear gas that bus i was like oh great in my head i was thinking great good 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 job guys you tear gas the bus awesome and so then you know they said um i knew this wasn't going to work we should have gone with plan b i knew this wasn't going to work and then they said which was really interesting. It showed that I think some of the FBI agents on the ground didn't really know what was going on. One of the guys said, they said, they set the fire. And the other guy said, you're damn right they set the fire. There wasn't one pyrotechnic in that building. So That's two of the agents, at least two of the agents on the ground believe that we set the fire. So that's interesting to me. It shows that only a few people on the ground actually knew that there were pyrotechnics because there were. We have uncovered them. They exist. Six six or seven pyrotechnic devices exist, were found, and mislabeled. So it just indicates that the majority of the agents didn't really know what was going on, and it was probably a select few in a position of power who knew exactly what was going on, Mm -hmm. and they kept it from the rest of them. I mean, it's shocking to think about, really. how how did you cope in the immediate aftermath? The immediate aftermath, I was all right. I realized my faith was true. I realized that this was an experience God wanted us all to have and that I survived. I had once told David, no matter what happens, I want to be with a group. Whether we go out or stay in or we all die, they kill us. I don't want to be separated from the group. And David just looked at me and he didn't say a word. And that's the moment that I knew that I was going to survive. No matter what happened, I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew that I would be separated from the group and I would have to stand and face the world on my own. I knew it. I knew it. I, there wasn't a question in my mind that I would be a survivor. How do you feel about... I only came out of the building because I didn't want to burn to death. Of, of I course. Thought, I, I still thought they were going to shoot me, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. What do you? Yes. How do you feel about um, the way David and Steve Schneider passed? Because the, I mean, for for context, that it was reported that they shot themselves. As far as the official report, that one shot the other one, and then the other took his own life. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible. But again, I have a problem with the infrared and all those fully automatic weapons being shot into the building. Could they have been shot by those agents shooting into the building? Yes, they could have been. 
All I can do is go by the official report because I just don't know. And whatever the filmmakers wanted to say or do, that's what the filmmakers said or did. My point is that they could have easily been shot either trying to escape or maybe those people, the positions knew where they would be on top of the concrete structure and shot in that building to shoot and kill them. I just don't know. I mean, from a... One thing I do, I just want to say this real quick. David Christian's own mother didn't believe the autopsy report and, and questioned the fact whether David was actually in the coffin when they buried him. So I don't know why she would think that, but I have more faith in what a mother would say or knows about the remains of her son than what the FBI would tell me. I think from a filmmaker's standpoint as well, if you're trying to push this narrative of a cult leader, the kind of prophetic image of, of this cult leader taking his own life at the end or something like that, I mean, which is something that's seen through I mean, Jim Jones did that, and it, it, it's it's powerful imagery to convey on a film or in a documentary. So it's sure. understandable why that gets picked up by the media because it's almost a bit more glamorous to have a definite end on it, even though it there is it's up in the air. Well, plus it's the end they want. They don't want the end. They don't want the end where they're trying to escape the building and they're being shot by the federal government. I promise you they don't want that end. And I'm saying that, the, I'm, what I'm saying is that's a possibility. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that is a distinct possibility is that they were shot by the guys that were shooting on the outside. And I say that because of their own infrared videotape, man. I didn't put a fucking infrared camera in that plane flying above Mount Carmel. The FBI did. It's their tape. It's their film, my friends. It's their film that shows them shooting people. Do you all get that? Does anybody who doubts that film get that? It's their film. They put the infrared in the fucking plane and shot the video of people trying to escape and shot the fully automatic weapons fire and the two explosions in the back of the building before the fire begins. It's their tape. Think about it for a second. You think that, 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 that it's wrong? You think that the flare's wrong? Dude, it's their, it's their flair. That's all I'm saying. It's their flair. Do you, on a separate note, do you still believe that David was a good man? On a separate note. On a separate note. Uh, you know, I believe that David Koresh believed he was a man of God. And I think David Koresh knew the scripture better than anyone I've ever known. Mm. I think he was also human and he made a, a ton of mistakes. Who doesn't? But he made a lot, a lot of mistakes. He, he made mistakes that got people killed. You know, I personally believe that a true spiritual leader is supposed to do no harm. It's like a doctor or a teacher or whatever. And there's always people that are just people. And they're too much people. They're too human and too less spiritual <laughs> than they probably should be. And we all know that power is very corruptive. So I just, you know, I don't know. If I were to think that, they, if I were to just look at David Crest psychologically, even the psychologists can't agree. Even the psychologists, they, they, they don't think that he was uh, a sociopath. They think he was delusional. 
there's psychologists out there that just think he was delusional. They, 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 don't, they say he didn't have borderline personality disorder. That he, some do, but a lot of them think that he was delusional, period. That he doesn't show signs of these psychological traits that other people want to say um, or what follow most sect leaders like that, if you will, or, or, or destructive leaders. So it's tough, man. He, he's a complicated individual. And it's a very complicated case with him. Um, I've listened to a lot of different psychological backgrounds about him. What I can tell you for sure is the FBI is wrong when they say it was a comment. He was not a comment. He believed it 100%. That's why people believed him, because he believed it. Mm -hmm. He wasn't like a Manson that was giving us drugs, trying to get us to believe that he was Christ because we were so fucking high that we didn't know our ass from reality. We weren't allowed to do drugs. We were allowed to drink only on very rare occasions. So it's like, no, David Chris did everything through the scripture. What he taught, what he achieved was all through the scripture. So I don't know, you know, maybe he was delusional and maybe he really had visions. Who really knows? No one's gonna really know. Most people don't believe that anyone has visions. But I've, I've chosen in my life not to judge anyone. And if someone wants to sit there, look, I, I can know you're lying to my face and you're going to lie to me and be like, okay, buddy, if that's what you believe, fine. I'll play your game. And then I will never talk to you again. You know, I don't know if David Koresh is lying and making it all up. If he, if he was, he was the greatest actor that I think that has ever lived. And he probably should have an Oscar for his performance. So I don't think he was performing. I think he believed 100%. I really do. Well, I think it doesn't mean it wasn't flawed. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fantastic note to end on, personally, because I don't want to keep you too long because we've been talking for quite a while. Um, okay. As a, as a, a kind of final notes, would you like to say what things you've got on at the moment in terms of your book and that kind of stuff, and also how do you feel about Waco now? 27 years on, you know, frequenting Mount Carmel. How do you feel about Waco now? You know, right now, to me, it's about the community. It's about the people that lost, the kids that were lost, and the kids that survived. I want to, I would like for the property to be open to uh, Heather Jones and Kevin Jones. Um, you know, Heather's dad, Dave Jones, died there. Heather's grandfather died there. David Crush is her uncle. So all of David Crest's kids were her cousins. She should be on that property. And there's a guy named Charlie Pace on that property. He's claiming he's a survivor, and he isn't. He studied under Lois Roden before David. He left when David took over, and he came back after everyone died. And he's lived on the property. He squatted there, and he's basically said that he's a survivor. He takes money from people that come there on behalf of survivors, and he's not even a survivor. And Heather can't live there because he put these big banners up putting her family front and center and saying they're going to hell for following David. And so she left the property. I was asked to leave the property because people wanted to come there and speak to me and they didn't want to speak to Charlie anymore. Charlie, uh, this guy's unbelievable, man. He has just kind of taken over. He's kicked off Ophelia, who was an original survivor, an 80-year-old woman, kicked her off the property. He's, you know asked me to leave the property because people wanted to talk to me and not to him. So he's trying to take it over. Anyway, I have a fun. I'm trying to raise money for the Mount Carmel Historical and Preservation Society. 
what we're trying to do is take Charlie to court and show that he doesn't own the property, that it's owned by the community of survivors. And I need, I need a court paper saying that so we can go back onto the property and not get shot by Charlie fucking Pace. Because uh, I've already survived Waco once. I don't wish to die there now. But I want, I want Heather to be able to live on the property in peace and not be harassed by this guy, Charlie. So if you go to Mount Carmel, that's Frank. Fine, go to it. Just remember, when he asked for donate, donations, it's not going to any of the survivors. It's going to him and his family. Um, my website is Waco Survivors, wacosurvivors.com. www. Do you even have to say that anymore? Out of no. the Waco Survivors with a plural with an S. WacoSurvivors.com. I have the transcripts of all the FBI negotiations between the FBI negotiators and David Crest and Steve Schneider. I have Livingston Fagan, one of their survivors, some of his writings. I have some of David Crest's sermons. We have some of David Crest's music. I got some music from my bands that I played with, uh, drums on. All kinds of free stuff there. If you want to get some merch, we got some, I have designed a Mount Carmel Memorial t-shirt and it's, uh, it's the dove. Actually, I got a better representation. Hold on one second. Yeah, no worries. The official, ah, <laughs> the official symbol is this. And it says, remember Mount Carmel, Waco, Texas, 1993 and a dove. That's on the front of a shirt, a black or white t-shirt. On the back are the names of all the people that have died. So that's the official memorial shirt. And I think in the UK, you can get that shirt and we can ship it from the UK. There's cups, there's stuff like that, you know. Um, the book signed by me is only in the US. I don't, I have no way to ship to England. It would be, I think, far too expensive. <laughs> Canada's 20 bucks in addition to the $25 for the, for the, for the signed book. But that's up to you. I mean, if you guys want to text me and you want to pay that, I, I would, if you want to pay the shipping, I'd gladly ship it to you, but I, I think it's too expensive personally. But anyway, other than that, there is the Mount Carmel um, Historical and Preservation Fund. If you want to give to that, that goes to helping us get an attorney to try to give the property back or at least share it with Charlie so we have a right to be there and not have to worry about being shot if we step onto the property. Well, I'll share all the links for that. Thanks, man. 100%. David, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to spend time and talk with you. Um, this was fun. I was pretty good, huh? I, I, I really, really enjoyed just chatting Even when I got anyway. Before, did before, I scare you? When I got mad, did I scare you? I scared myself a little. To be fair, I jumped a bit. <laughs> um, no, it was, it, was, it was great. And it, it's... I think, I think the, main, the main point to, to remember is the fact that, I mean, your book, Waco, A Survivor Story, is not a story. It's a non-fiction book. It's a, these are not stories. These are real lives of people. And That's my experience. It's the it. truth. Exactly. It's the truth. And I think people need to remember that. As much as it gets glamorized in the media and as much as you can make this, you know, action-packed, cult narrative in a documentary or a film real people have to suffer the real consequences and carry that emotional baggage from it yeah. i think that's an important thing to take from it but david thank you so much honestly for talking to me and yeah it's been a pleasure thanks guys y'all take care